And so, of course, every year there are fights around this time of year in the stores over different items. Last year, there were fights like all over the place for different items going on. In Walmart, there was a fight for big screen TVs. And it got to the point where people were literally laying on top of TVs so that other people couldn't get them. Now, I don't know if people are familiar with how TVs are made, but there's a thin layer of glass across the front. And every box that I've ever seen that that houses a TV has that Italian word fragile written on it. Uh, It's a $5 Barbie doll was another one there was a fight over. A woman punched a man in the face over a $5 Barbie doll, and then ran. Can you just imagine this lady on Christmas morning giving the, the toy to her kids? All right, enjoy this gift. Uh, don't fight like mommy. <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, and, then, and then there was a fight in Victoria's Secret. How does this possibly happen? Women duking it out, probably over a perfume called like Delicate Rose or something, right? Come on, it's ridiculous. But what's incredible is, is that this season is known in our culture for its selfishness. Isn't that true? Like we're all just trying to get you know, in line first and get the best parking spot and everybody thinks, hey, I deserve this and I deserve that and hey, don't step on my rights. And it's just incredible how this time of year brings out so much selfishness, which is ironic because here we are celebrating Jesus' birth, which is all about selflessness. The whole story of Jesus is about selflessness. And so here in this season, I want to challenge you and I to something. We got... A week and a half till Christmas, right? What if we, for the next week and a half, were to have a selflessness about us? What if we were to walk through our days? What if we were to walk through the halls at school and at work? What if we were to go back to our homes tonight? What if we were to treat each other? And what if we were to treat the people outside in the world around us with just a, a selfless spirit? I think the best way we could honor our Savior and His coming over these next several weeks, is to do just that. So tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to sort of a general sense of selflessness and the way that you just treat people around you. But here's what I want to do as well. I want to challenge you to a very specific, big act of selflessness in the next several weeks. Now, this isn't going to come easy, and there's several reasons why. Partly because this is such a busy time of year. It's just hard to be selfless when you're busy. I mean, a lot of us still have presents to buy, right? And so there's going to be lines waited on, and there's going to be places you drive to. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me where you look it up online, and it says they have 23 in stock, and you go in there, and they have negative 23 in stock, and you want to kill somebody. You're like laying across flat screens, you know, you just want to beat somebody up. Um, and then, of course, there are presents to be wrapped, too, and especially for people like me who have little, little kids. I have to do this late at night when they're not around, and so there's not a ton of sleep that happens in the holiday season, and so exhaustion starts setting in, and selflessness goes out the window real quick when we get tired and stressed. Another reason this isn't going to come so easy is because, if we're honest, there are people we're going to see in the next several weeks that maybe we just don't really want to see. Some family members coming back around again, some people that we just don't want to be in the same room with, and so that makes things difficult, right? And I think another reason this is so hard is because If we're aiming at selflessness over the next several weeks, there's a very good chance we're going to be alone in that. Like the world around us is not aiming at selflessness. The world around us wants to be first in line and wants the best spot and wants the best price and the best deal. And and they're not looking to have a selfless heart. It's incredible what people will do to each other. I remember several years ago, I was walking out of a store. I don't want to tell you the name, but it rhymed rhymed with staples. And so uh, I walked out. And as I came out, there were these two guys screaming at, at each other. Just screaming at each other about like a parking spot or something. I don't even know. And so I kind of kept my eye on the situation just in case they needed my ninja skills to break this thing up. I was ready. 
And so I'm watching this thing go on and back and forth and back and forth. And, and eventually one of the guys came out with this line that I actually shared with you in the past. I just thought it was such a great line. I'm going to totally use this if anybody ever gets in my face. This is what he said. He said, don't you mess with me. You have no idea who I am. And I was like, dang, that's a good line, man. The other guy just disappeared quicker than a bottle of Tums at White Castle. And uh, just gone, just out, out. Um, and so selflessness is not going to come easy, Right? And then lastly, you know what I think this time of year, for some of us, if we're honest, as like hyped as this time of year is, as much fun as so many people have this time of year, many of us, if we're honest, hate this time of year. I remember sitting in that back booth about four or five years ago with a friend, and we were sitting there talking, and he just said, Doug, if I'm honest, I hate Christmas season. It brings up so many broken emotions in me. He lost a loved one in his life. He just said, I hate this time of year. It's always the hardest time of year for me. And so some of you, that's what you're going through. And so to hear like, hey, let's be selfless and let's go out there and change the world. You're like, man, I need some encouragement. I don't know about that. Well, today, I think you're going to find both encouragement and challenge as we look at some of this here. And you know what? Even though it's hard, it's still worth it. Even though it's tough, I mean, just think about it. So this is our third service for the day, so a few hundred people are hearing this. And you know what that means? That means that a few hundred of us is kind of a big deal. A few hundred of us saying, okay, we're going to live the next couple of weeks selflessly. That'll make an impact in our homes and in our marriages and in our schools, but also in our world, on our island here that we're trying to impact. We just sang in this third song about how God has moved in our city, and I can tell you that he has that he's doing incredible things. A bunch of you women were here yesterday at our women's tea, and I got to be in the back running the sound and stuff. And so I got to uh, see and hear six amazing testimonies that women gave about how God is at work in their lives, about how they, some of them have been freed from some drug addiction, some of them have been freed from anxiety, some of them have been freed from cutting themselves, and marriage is restored. God is at work in our city. And you know what? If a few hundred of us over the next several weeks said, let's live selflessly, we'll have an impact on the world around us. And so I want to challenge you to this general sense of selflessness, that as you come into contact with people, whoever they are and wherever they are, there just be a selflessness about you. But more than that, I want to challenge you to a big act of selflessness over the next several weeks. Why should you be selfless? It has everything to do with the Christmas story has everything to do with what our Savior has done for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking, all right, yeah, this guy's talking about being selfless and doing nice things for people. It's about what I expected to find in church. But here's what I think you may not expect to find in church, if this is your first time, is the reason why I'm saying we should be selfless. You see, God is really good. He doesn't do what your parents do sometimes or did. Remember they used to just say, because I said so. Why, Dad? Why, Mom? Because I said so, right? The worst answer of all time, I say it all the time. It's great. Um, but... God is a better dad than me. And so you know what? He doesn't just say, hey, be selfless because I said so. He gives us incredible motivation to live a selfless life. And so you're going to leave here tonight incredibly motivated to do something. I promise you that. You're sitting there going, yeah, right, Doug. I got my arms folded. You're not going to get anything out of me. Just wait and see what's in store tonight. I I guarantee you, you will leave here saying, I got to do something. I got to live a selfless life. I got to come up with a way that I can bless somebody the way that I've been blessed. And so we're going to look at some verses in Philippians 2. And Paul wrote Philippians. Paul is this guy that Jesus had just absolutely turned his life upside down, lit his, lit his heart on fire for Jesus, just got him so excited and so passionate. 
And then Paul began to go around the world and make a difference. And he wrote some letters to some friends. And one of the places was Philippi. And so he wrote in Philippians 2 to some of these people about some of the same problems and things that we might struggle with about selfishness. And so in Philippians 2, first he starts talking about insiders. He talks about the people that belong to the church. But then eventually he says, yeah, but here's what would happen if we would be selfless outside these walls. And so we're going to see both sides of this. So Philippians 2, Paul says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now I'm going to stop there. Because remember I said before, God doesn't just say, hey, do it because I said so. No, God gives us motivation. You see, here's four motivations to live a selfless life. In a minute, Paul's going to tell us that selflessness matters. But first, he motivates us. He says, hey, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then live a selfless life. Because you and I are united to Jesus, God. We don't deserve that. That should not be. You and I, the Bible tells us, we're his enemies, and yet we're united with Christ. We're on the same team as Jesus. He's on our side. He's got our back. I find incredible encouragement in that. If any comfort from his love. You ever been comforted by the love of Jesus? Then live a selfless life. Somebody you love dies. Somebody you love is sick. You yourself are sick, you're going through a hard time, and you can say words like this, thank God I have Jesus in my life. Life's really hard, but I have Jesus in my life. You know what that means? You found comfort in his love. Some of us going through financial situations, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, but man, thank God Jesus is in my life and he loves me. Some of us are saying, man, I've been let down by this person and that person. Thank God the love of Jesus never lets me down. That's called being comforted by his love. And so Paul's saying, okay, if these things are true, live a selfless life. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then yes, that is true of you. You have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in your life. You know those times when you're trying to do something about your life and you just can't seem to get any further? You're trying to change and you can't change and suddenly God does his thing in you? That's called the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And if you and I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then we gotta get excited and let that change the way that we live. This past week, my wife and I gave our kids an early Christmas present. We got this like big popcorn maker thingy, and so they love to like put the popcorn and just sit there and watch it all explode and have fun. And and so uh, we made it for them the first time, and and the three kids are sitting there eating the first batch. They're like, "Oh, it's so good, so good, so good," you know. So my seven-year-old Lennon makes this statement. He says, "The only thing better than this popcorn is the Holy Spirit." <laughs> I don't know where he got that, but I'm glad he knows there's the Holy Spirit, and I'm glad he's excited about the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You and I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and he's better than popcorn. (laughs) But that's got to motivate us to live a selfless life. And tenderness tenderness and compassion. That doesn't mean, hey, if you guys have tenderness and compassion in your heart. No, it it means if we've experienced the tenderness and compassion of our Savior, then we should be driven to live a selfless life. So this is where Paul kind of picks up the next part here. He says, okay, so if all those things are true, then verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Okay, so if all those things are true of you, then be unified, Philippians. Be unified, people here at Living Word Church. Be on the same page, be on the same team. Well, how do we do that? Well, look at the next verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Shouldn't that verse be written on like a banner and hung in every store? 
Imagine how different Black Friday would be if that banner were just everywhere. You know, oh, no, sir, you take the large screen TV. No, you please, ma'am, you take Delicate Rose. I won't punch you in the face for it, right? It would just be such a different environment. Imagine if we brought that attitude into our workplace, our schools, our homes this week. What if that was the attitude of every one of us here in this church? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but I'm going to consider others better than myself. I got to tell you, if I'm just being honest, I am not wired to just do that naturally, you know? Like, it was funny. I, I preached this message twice this morning, and then our band was here, and our production team, we were working on all the stuff for next week, all afternoon. And there were several different times where I was very quick to do something or say something, and that verse jumped in my head. And I was like, wow, I think I'm really bad <laughs> at living this verse out because I want my opinion to be heard, and I feel like I'm hungry, so I'm going to get the slice of pizza first, and I should be able to pour the soda and get my thing and do my thing and get over there and get my job done. And what I have to say it was most important, and what I feel should definitely be you know, understood and felt. And man, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to live with that verse rattling around in your head. But that's what Paul is calling us to. He says this in the next part. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Live selflessly. Why? Because we've got comfort from the love of Jesus. And because we're united with Christ and we shouldn't be. And because we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we've experienced God's compassion in our lives. And here's where we get to the Christmas part of the message. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, let's just pause right there, who being in very nature God. See, here's what's amazing, okay? We're celebrating the fact that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, right? But here's what is so important for us to understand, if this message is gonna matter at all. What's so important for you and I to understand is that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago as a person, as a human, but he existed for all eternity. And he was equal with his father, See, Jesus didn't like just come into existence as a complete being 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus has always existed, created all things, is over all things. And then here we see him being in very nature. God didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't look at his father when the world needed saving and said, Nah, man, I'm equal with you. You go. No, instead, see, he humbled himself. And he lived a selfless life. See, here's the problem with our culture. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. Not only do we grasp for equality, we grasp for superiority, don't we? And see, this is the thing about Jesus. He didn't grasp for superiority. He didn't grasp for equality, but instead humility. And that's the power of his example for you and I. God, equal with the Father, no reason for him to come for you and me. But he humbled himself. And look what it says in the next part in verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's the Christmas story. He came in human likeness. He made himself like you and like me. And this, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is what sets Christianity apart. There is no other option. There is no God. There is no religious answer anywhere who has done what that verse says Jesus has done. No one else has jumped into our story. No one else has come for us but this Savior because of his selflessness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it's ridiculous enough that Almighty God would be found in appearance as a man. It's crazier that he would die for us, but it's even more unbelievable that he would die on a cross. I love that Paul says that, not just death, but even death on a cross. Why is that so important? Because the cross was known for two things. It was known for its shame and its pain. You see, when someone was put on a cross, they wanted to shame you. They wanted to mock you. They wanted to make you look like a fool. That was the goal of the cross. There was a Roman historian named Cicero. He's a philosopher. He was a a politician and a lawyer, and he lived about 40 years, or rather he died about 40 years before Jesus came on the scene. So it's not a Jesus follower, not a Christian. And he says something about the cross that's incredible. And you can hear in his voice the horror of the cross. He talks about kind of the penalty of the law, but then he says, but the cross is a whole different thing. Look what he says here. He says, wretched is the loss of one good name, one's good name in the public courts, Wretched to a monetary fine exacted from one's property, and wretched is exile. But still, in each calamity there is retained some trace of liberty. Even if death is set before us, we may die in freedom. But the executioner, the veiling of heads, and the very word cross, let them all be far removed from not only the bodies of Roman citizens, but even their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. You see, Cicero knew that the goal of the cross was to shame and mock you. And he here, as he speaks, is you can almost feel his fear of the cross. And he says, you know, as a Roman, he says, I don't even want one of my fellow people to think about the cross. I don't want them to see it. I don't want them to hear about it because of all the horror that it is. And that's what Jesus came to be put on for you and for me. And so it's known for its shame, but it's also known for its pain. J. Lee Grady said this. You can read along on the screens. Nobody performed an autopsy on Jesus' mangled body after he was taken down from the cross. But doctors who have studied the Bible's description of his death say the pain would have been beyond excruciating. In fact, the word excruciating means out of the cross. Jesus literally defined the worst pain anyone could feel. His suffering began in Gethsemane when God laid the sins of the world on his beloved son. The intense stress caused what physicians call hematidrosis, a condition in which blood seeps out of sweat glands. After his arrest, Jesus was flogged so mercilessly that his skin was stripped off his back, exposing muscle and bone. After being slapped, punched, crowned with thorns, and beaten with reeds, he was covered with a red robe and led to Golgotha. There, Roman soldiers drove seven-inch nails into his wrist, most likely hitting the meeting nerve, causing more blinding pain. And then they rammed another nail into his feet. At this point, doctors suggest Jesus would have suffered dislocation of his shoulders, cramps and spasms, dehydration from severe blood loss, fluid in his lungs, and eventual lung collapse and heart failure. Yet he refused to take a pain-killing solution. He chose to endure the pain for us. This is how selfless Jesus has lived for you and for me. Why be selfless? Well, because of those four things that Paul tells us up front about his love and the Holy Spirit and compassion. But what about the life of the Savior who came to rescue you and I? What about the one who came, the one who was equal with the Father, but he made himself obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. The pain and the shame wouldn't keep him from you and from me. And then in the next few verses, we hear what God did because of what Jesus did. Therefore, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so to glorify his Father and to save and redeem you and me, Jesus gets on a cross in our place and dies. Now, over the next several verses, Paul talks about salvation and living lives that honor God. But then we finally start to see the impact we could have outside these walls. See, everything that Paul has said to the Philippians so far really has mainly to do with people inside the church and how we treat each other. But eventually, he starts to say, hey, if you will live a selfless life like your Savior lived when he died, when he rose again, when he suffered like he did, then you will make a difference in the world around you. And this is where it gets exciting for here and now. Verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. So we just gotta stop for a second. When do you complain and argue? You complain and argue when you're not getting your way. What's that called? Selfishness, right? Hey, wait, this isn't how it was supposed to happen. Why are you doing it that way? No, 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 no. No, see, my way's better. See, complaining and arguing is all about selfishness. But he says, okay, do nothing with those things going on, everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault and a crooked and depraved generation. And then here's some incredible encouragement in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. I love that picture. I love that thought that you and I can shine like stars in the universe. That's the potential for you and me as we live selfless lives like our Savior. And what's the word of life? Right? It says, as we hold out the word of life, we're going to shine like stars. Well, the word of life is the message of Jesus. It's the life Jesus lived. But here's what I need you to catch. This is so important. You see, part of holding out the word of life is telling people the message of Jesus. But listen, so much more important than that is living the life of Jesus. When we hold out the word of life, we're not just telling them, hey, Jesus died for you. No, we're serving them. We're selflessly showing them that we're like our Savior and that his death and his love for us will cause us to live selflessly for others. And so when you and I live like our Savior, when we look like our Savior, we're going to shine brightly. The world around us is going to be drawn. And that's the potential of these next few weeks. As we interact with people all over the place, we have the potential to make a difference. And so what I want you guys to take away from these verses that we've read today and the attitude I want us to have and and the, and the way that I want us to move forward is with this thought, that we've been loved so selflessly, we must love selflessly. It just has to, it has to go like that. They have to, those two phrases have to go hand in hand. You can't just say, hey, we've been loved so, so selflessly. Isn't that great? Let's just all be happy and stay here and be safe in our little church. No, it has to go to the second part of that statement. So we must love selflessly. You see, if you separate those two things, they don't work so well. When you just try to love selflessly, you end up getting frustrated and messing it up because your motivation is what? Probably selfish in the first place, right? But when you say, I've been loved so selflessly, I must love selflessly, then that's when you shine brightly. That's when the world around you is drawn to your Savior. And so I want to challenge you to this general sense of selflessness over these next several weeks. 
that as you're running around doing what you got to do and you're on lines and you're wrapping stuff and you're dealing with family members you don't, maybe don't want to see and all these different things are going on, that you would just have this general selflessness, that, that you'd give people the better spot, that you'd, that you'd encourage the checkout lady at Target, right, instead of yelling at her or being upset or giving her an attitude like everybody else is. Hey, thanks. God bless you. Appreciate what you do. She'll probably fall over and be like, medic. <laughs> but just imagine the impact that you could make. But way more than that, I want to challenge you to one huge selfless act in the next several weeks. Between now and Christmas, what if you and I and the several hundred of us here together said, okay, we're going to do one huge selfless act over the next several weeks. And I don't know what yours is, but I'm guessing you may know what yours is. Maybe for some of you, it's just being at school this next week. You're going to reach out to somebody who's always by themselves. And you know what? You really enjoy hanging out with your friends, but you're going to go sit with him or her at lunch. And just show them the love of Jesus. I mean, maybe that's a conversation about God. Maybe it's just sitting with them and showing them that they matter. Maybe it's for some of us, it's walking across the street, introducing ourselves to some neighbors that we've never met before. Or maybe some neighbors that always give us an attitude or a hard time. Maybe baking some extra cookies or picking something up and just saying, Merry Christmas, God bless you. Maybe it's inviting people to our, our services next week and taking them out to breakfast before or lunch afterward. That would cost you something. It would be inconvenient. But one huge selfless act, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's inviting somebody to your family Christmas gathering that you have pushed away for a lot of years. Maybe it's getting back in touch with somebody by calling them on the phone or meeting them for coffee or writing a, a letter to them and, and saying, you know what, I've held this against you and I'm so sorry, I, I forgive you. I'm gonna release this. Because you and I have been loved so selflessly, we must love selflessly. And so I don't know what yours is, but here's what I want for each of us, I want us to leave this building knowing what it is for each of us. As we walk out tonight, I want you to know that between now and Christmas, about a week and a half away, that you're going to live out that selfless act because you've been loved so selflessly. And so I want you in a few minutes to pray about that and think about that and go out of this room with that as your plan. But just to kind of help you see the power of what can happen when we live this way. I want to ask Jimmy Malloy if he'll come up for a minute. I don't know if any of you guys caught this on Thanksgiving. If you're watching News 12, like all respectable Long Islanders should. But there was a story about Jimmy here. And I think we have a mic for you somewhere. Here we go. Uh, there was a story about Jimmy. Um, and I wanted him to share a little bit. Jimmy's been coming to our church for about a year and his awesome family, and uh, he's a great guy, and he's been a blessing, and uh, something really cool has happened. So, Jimmy, what was the need that you became aware of, and how did you find out about it? I, I became aware that uh, a stranger, some, someone I didn't know, needed a kidney. And uh, I, I was uh, scrolling down on Facebook, and it came up on my page. Awesome. Okay, so you see the need. Um, what made you want to do something about it? Well, it wasn't me who made me want to do something about this. I, uh, when I saw his uh, uh, Kidney for Mark uh, page, I actually said a nice prayer, and I kept scrolling. And then uh, the Lord just said to me, you have two good kidneys. I've given you great health. He has no kidneys, and he's suffering. So, listen, I am not this really nice guy who likes giving away body parts. <laughs> That's not who I am. This was from the Lord. And I said, Lord, if this is from you, 
well, I'm getting tested. If it's from you, let us be a perfect match. Let there be no blockage. Let just everything be really smooth. And everything was really, really smooth. And how's the love of Jesus impacted your life to make you want to do something like this? The cross was enough for what he did for me, that I have eternity. But he's blessed me in so many different ways with a, a great wife, great family, great church. And uh, he lived a selfless life. And he asked me to do something that I wouldn't be usually comfortable with. And uh, I'm doing it for the Lord. This is all the Lord. If I was not a Christian, trust me, I would not, I would not be giving my kidney away. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think my favorite part of this story are, is that Mark Bruni, the man who's getting this kidney, was sitting in that row this morning at our 930 service. A man who's not a follower of Jesus was here with about 10 of his family members. And the surgery is tomorrow. The surgery is tomorrow. 730, Mark's going in. And 1130, Jimmy here is going in. And I just think that this is such an incredible thing because you know what, if, if Jimmy had met Mark and, and Jimmy had said, hey, you should come to my church out, uh, out in Esconset, guy never would have come, would have never come. But you know what? He came because Jimmy is selflessly serving him. He came and his family came and their lives are being touched because Jimmy's shining brightly here. And you know what? You and I have such an incredible opportunity to do the same. Would you pray with me for Jimmy and Mark real quick? God, I thank you for Jimmy. I thank you for Mark. And I just pray for these two men, that you'll protect them tomorrow, that you'll bless them, that you'll be with the operation, that you'll guide the surgeon's hands in all that they do. I pray for Mark that this kidney will be accepted by his body and that he'll live many, many years. And I pray even more than his body being healed, Lord, that he will put his trust in you, his wife, his kids, his grandkids, his mother-in-law, everyone that was here today and heard the truth about your love, that each and every one of them would look to you a Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's hear it for Jim. And so some of you may be saying, well, Doug, you know, as I'm thinking about this big selfless act, you don't understand how hard it's going to be for me. You don't understand how hard it's going to be to invite that person to Christmas or, or get together with so-and-so, tell them I forgive him. And I was thinking about that this week, and I realized something, that really anything short of giving our kidney away, we don't really have an excuse anymore. <laughs> and beyond that, I was thinking that really it goes further, doesn't it? Because anything short of getting up on a cross and giving our life for someone else is what God calls us to, no? Right? Didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me? Doesn't Paul say, have the same attitude as Jesus? Humbling yourself. Not grasping for superiority or equality, but humility. And as we look at what Jesus has done for us, we find this amazing example. And I want to make something really, really clear that if you're not a follower of Jesus, the reason we do selfless things is not to get more of God's favor. It's not so that then he'll love us more. When Jimmy wakes up from surgery tomorrow, God is not going to love Jimmy more than God loves Jimmy right now. Jimmy has a relationship with Jesus because Jesus died on the cross in his place. And so I'm not talking here in this series and in this message tonight about doing these great things so God will really love us and Jimmy's this, this, this huge deed, and like Jimmy can sin all he wants from here on out. This one deed covers everything. No, this is all about responding. Jimmy has had his life changed because he's been loved selflessly, and now he's ready to love others selflessly. 
And so it's not, hey, I'm going to do this so that God will love me. It's because God loves me, because I'm saved. Like he said, if Jesus wasn't in my life, I would never be doing this. And so I want you to see the why. Remember I said earlier, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what might surprise you about all this. The why. Why should we do this? We should do this because we've been set free from our sin. We should do this because Jesus loves us and rescued us and gives us salvation and eternal life for free at no cost to us. And I was thinking about this whole thing going on with Jimmy and Mark, and I was imagining some of you here in the seats tonight are saying, hey man, I hear what you're saying about Jesus and being saved and all that, but I'm good. I don't really know that I need saving, or I'm just going to kind of do my own thing for a while. And I was thinking about this guy, Mark, who's going to be receiving this kidney. Can you imagine if Jimmy offered his kidney to Mark and Mark refused it? And Mark said, nah, nah, I'm good. Or if Mark said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of do my thing for a while. I'll check back in with you a year from now. I'll check back in with you. It would be crazy. It would be insane. Here is life being offered to this man. And life is being offered to you. Your Savior wants to give you life. And so don't refuse him. Don't push him away. And so over the next week and a half, can we live selfless lives? Beyond the next week and a half, can we live selfless lives? But in this next week and a half, when everything's crazy and everything's stressful, can we have this general awareness of trying to emulate our Savior, trying to live like he's lived? And you will be blessed. Your families will be blessed. You'll be blessed in all that you do. There'll be some incredible encounters you have. And beyond that, the people around you will see shining stars. And they'll be drawn to Jesus. And so, what's your big selfless act? If you don't know already, would you pray with me in just a minute? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, then I would encourage you to do that now. Don't wait. Don't say, eh, maybe I'll check back in a year. Don't refuse the life that's being offered to you right here and now, tonight. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful, Lord, that we have been loved selflessly. And so, Lord, let that make us love selflessly. God, help us to not just look at the first part of that phrase or the second part of that phrase and separate them, but God, help us to put that sentence together. We've been loved so selflessly, we must love selflessly. God, you would let that just be who we are, that that would become the mindset of not even just the next week and a half, but beyond, God, that you would do that in us. And I'm asking you for that, God. I'm asking you not just for us all to be able to say, hey, we did something really cool over this week and a half, but God, I'm praying that you will do deep in our hearts a makeover of our heart, a makeover of our mindset that tends just to be so selfish and help us instead to, Lord, live in a selfless way that honors you. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you spend a minute just asking God if you don't know what that selfless act is yet? And if you do, would you ask him for the strength to follow through with it? And would you ask that that selfless act would affect somebody else? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, then you can pray something like this. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place, I put my trust in you. I believe you died and you rose again. I thank you for this gift of salvation that I could never earn. Would you show me how real you are? And as I understand that you have loved me so selflessly, would you help me then love others selflessly in your name?